All right, everybody, today we're coming at you with UFC Vegas 72 song versus Simone preview predictions and breakdown. In the main event of the evening, you have a bantamweight clash, which is actually supposed to take place on last week's card in the co-main event. Now it's a five-rounder instead of a three-rounder in the main event of UFC Vegas 72 at the UFC Apex this upcoming Saturday on April 29th. And it's a battle that's going to be a banger with 10 additional minutes added on between the number 8-ranked Song Yedong and the number 10-ranked Bantamweight in Ricky Simone. Simone versus Song Yedong in an absolute barn burner of a main event for UFC Vegas 72. And then in the co-main event of the evening, you have a streaking contender undefeated in the UFC in Cayo Bohayo going up against Mihal Oleksiejczyk in a battle of grappler versus striker. So without any further ado, let's get this started. And step! Into the ring. All right, everybody. UFC Vegas 72 preview predictions and breakdown. So let's get it started. I'm going to tell you what fights we're going to break down, and then we're just going to go from there. I don't expect this to be the longest podcast episode, but I do expect it to be decently long. So we're going to have uh, one prelim, which is going to be the flyweight bout between Cody Durden and Energy or Charles Energy Johnson. I think that's probably the best prelim to break down. And then going into the main card, we're going to skip Josh Quinlan versus Trey Waters, even though I do expect that to be a decent fight. I don't really feel like spending a lot of time on Waldo Cortez Acosta versus Marcos Rogerio de Lima, so I'm probably going to skip that as well. But we are going to break down Julian Arosa versus the UFC newcomer making his debut in the former LFA featherweight champion in Fernando Padilla. And then we're also going to be breaking down Rodolfo Vieira versus Cody Brundage. Kyle Bahayo versus Michael Oleksiejczyk or Mihao Oleksiejczyk and then Song Yudong versus Ricky Simone. So we could recap last weekend's card. I mean, it was okay. Uh, we didn't do the best on overall predictions. Our bets were just kind of off. And I think I'm going to stop doing parlays when it comes to betting. I just really think that like you're going to make more money if you hit the parlays because it's obviously the more legs you add to the parlay, the better the odds become. But sometimes you got to just stop chasing the odds and worry about chasing a win, man. A win is better than nothing. Like if you have $300, let's say your unit is $100. Let's say you have three units on a card, right? And you put together 15 parlays at 20 bucks, something close to that. And one of your picks is in 15 parlays. That one pick loses, well, you've just knocked out three quarters of your parlays. You know, but if you take one very confident pick and you put two of those units on that confident pick, yeah, you're not going to make as much money due to the projected profitability if those parlays do hit, but you're still going to be making profit. And at the end of the day, the only thing that matters is profit over loss. And that's something that I think me personally, that's something I have to look at when I break down cards and when I look at it from a betting side. And that's also something that I think MMA gamblers um, at least when it comes to being successful in the MMA betting community, that's something that I think people need to play a little bit more and pay a little bit more attention to. I was so good at hitting parlays early. Um, I think I fell in love with the parlay game and I got a little greedy and it caused me to lose a lot more than I should have. Excuse me. Sorry, I probably shouldn't be eating during this, but <laughs> sometimes you got to do what you got to do, right? Give me one second. All right. So when it comes to breaking down the card, 
we're going to start off. Oh, my God. Excuse me. Sorry for that, guys. Very unprofessional of me, but I had to take a bite of something. <laughs> so we're going to start off with the featherweight bout, or I'm sorry, the flyweight bout on the prelims between Cody Durden and Charles Energy Johnson. Neither of them are ranked. Both men suffered losses to Muhammad Mokayev, undefeated in the UFC. Coming off that injury, he suffered in that knee bar to Jafel Filo. But looking at this fight, man, originally I thought this was Charles Johnson all day. I expected this to be a very easy pick. I thought Charles Johnson was just going to run through Cody Durden. And giving me a minus 145, I think he opened a little bit lower than that, maybe like minus 130. Giving me those odds, I thought it was easy money on Charles Johnson. But then I went and looked at a little bit more of Cody Durden because the only thing I really remembered was the knockout over J.P. Buys or J.P. Bays, and then the first round flying knee into guillotine choke submission in Muhammad Mokayev's UFC debut. But looking back at the fight and breaking it down from a technical side and watching tape on both guys, this is a very close matchup, and it's very interesting, man. Cody Durden is a lot better of a striker than I originally anticipated. I expected him to be a heavy grappler. I know he comes from a wrestling background. Very good top control, very good ability to work from the top, land some good ground and pound, land multiple takedowns, work his wrestling pressure, constantly be like a dog on a bone. That's the best way I can describe Durden, man. He's a dog on the bone when it comes to wrestling, shooting takedowns. He'll shoot one takedown, chain it into multiple other takedown attempts. He's a chain wrestler. He might not get the double. He might transition to a head on the outside single, might transition to a head on the inside single, might work to the body lock, might work to an ankle pick. I mean, he's going to transition up and down your body to constantly have you working until he eventually gets you to give up a takedown. But he's also comfortable on the feet. Actually, pretty good lateral movement. Um, a lot better than I expected. He's very good laterally, in and out, moving laterally. And he likes to set up that right hand. He's got big power in the right hand. In his fight against Carlos Moda, he was able to drop him with a right hand early in the fight and then use that to control him on the floor. And he landed a jab, one, two over the top. And he uses that right hand to kind of drive into you and shoot a double leg. So he'll land the right hand and he might rock you with it, causing you to drop. And then he'll use that to transition into a takedown attempt and then work from the top position on the ground. But against JP Buys, he was able to jab, jab body, jab high, land over the top to the head, jab, jab, one, two down the middle. And he, he rocked him early, but then he put him away with a right hand and jumped on him. Now is JP Buys... The best level of competition? No. Has Charles Johnson faced better competition? Yes. Did he have a better performance against Muhammad Mokayev, even though he did get dominated? Yes, he did, because he was able to survive and go to a decision with Mokayev, which not many people have done. And I think the only person who has done that in the UFC, <laughs> excuse me, oh my God, the only person who's done that in the UFC has been the energy Charles Johnson, the former LFA flyweight champion. I think Johnson is the much better striker, but I do think he has to worry about the overhand rights and the, the jab to the body, the one-two of Cody Durden on the feet because it is slick. It does come from weird angles, and it's very fast. And with Charles Johnson using constant stance changes, angle shifts, shifting be between stances, landing high kicks, teep kicks to the body, very good teep kicks, very good one-two, right high kick, switch southpaw, two-three, Front kick to the body, front kick, step back into orthodox, double jab, right hand to the body, one, two, left hook to the body, switch southpaw, straight left hand, constantly changing angles and shifting his stance. He has a little bit of an issue with activity. I feel like he kind of stays on the outside and looks to faint and fake and try to get the opponent to make a mistake before he actually commits. I thought he won his fight against Ode Osborne, but the fight was very close in terms of 
neither fighter really did too much, but every time somebody did something, I feel like Charles Johnson did come back and return and counter Ode Osborne, but then Ode was working the inside and outside low kicks very well. He was landing some good strikes, but I did edge Charles Johnson in the fight, but it was very close and I'm not going to call it a robbery. Um, I did have a bet on Johnson that night, so I was pretty pissed that the split decision did go the other way, but you know, you learn every time you make a bet and it doesn't hit. You learn how to approach these fighters the next time you look at it. And it doesn't really matter when I when it comes to this fight from a betting perspective because I break it down technically before I get into the betting side. I think this is a very close fight. I think that on the feet, Charles Johnson is the more well-rounded fighter. He has more weapons, better elbows, better knees, better ability to mix it up, you know, mix it up between elbows, knees, kicks, and punches. He he has more, more variety and more creativity, changes stances more, shifts, changes angles. Cody Durden is pretty much meat and potatoes on the feet, but on the ground, he's much better than Charles Johnson. He has better wrestling, better top control, better ability to change positions, better ground and pound. But the thing is, Charles Johnson, even though he does get taken down, he doesn't really settle for many positions. There's a reason why Muhammad Mokayev got so many takedowns against Charles Johnson. It's because he didn't settle on the bottom from one takedown. He was chaining. He was working the overhooks, working the underhooks, shrimping his hips, looking to use the underhook to stand up to his feet, looking to use the underhook on the and the overhook on the other side to work his way back up to the feet and constantly chaining his own takedown attempts together, which more came in the fight against Ode Osborne. His counter-wrestling in the Osborne fight was extremely effective. Even when he got taken down, he worked his way back up to the hip. He used the overhook or the underhook to shuck Osborne off and then use the head on the inside single attempt as he was working his way back up to the feet to get the stand up and work his way back getting takedowns on Ode Osborne as well who's a guy who is not easy to take down and he didn't get a ton of takedowns but he was able to work some body lock takedowns able to use that single leg to stand up if he was on the bottom and he never settled for position Durden is going to be the better grappler Durden is going to have the better wrestling I think the better jujitsu comes from Johnson. Johnson does have some chokes on his record. I believe he's gotten some Darsh chokes before or um, Anaconda chokes, but I think it's mainly Darsh chokes for Charles Johnson on guys who will leave their neck out there. I could see Charles Johnson locking up a submission on the wrestling-heavy game plan of Cody Durden. I could see him shooting a bad takedown, overcommitting to the wrestling, and getting caught in a Darsh choke by Charles Johnson. I think Charles Johnson by sub is a thing you might want to look at if it's plus 700, plus 800. He doesn't get a lot of them but he has the ability to lock up submissions and it's usually from the front headlock position, which going up against a heavy wrestler in Durden, who's going to be pushing forward, who's going to be landing big strikes, who's going to be looking to land the right hand, who's going to be looking to shoot those takedowns. I think the submission attempts will work against the wrestling heavy style of a Cody Durden. So that might be something you want to look at, but I do think the overall better fighter is the energy in Charles Johnson, the stance changes, the angle shifts, the ability to mix up elbows, knees, kicks, punches, shifting his stance. Changing stances is going to make it harder for Durden to set up his takedown entries because he's not going to know what leg to attack with Johnson constantly shifting stances. And it might cause Durden to run in, kind of rush, get to the body lock and make his takedown attempts more telegraphed, which in turn is going to make the takedowns easier for Johnson to defend. And he has good takedown defense. I mean, you look at it, his stats in the UFC, they're going to be skewed from the Makaya fight. It says he only has 60% takedown defense. A lot of those takedowns came in the fight against Muhammad and Mokayev. Charles Johnson has better takedown defense than the UFC stats are going to tell you, and he's really good at working his way back up to the feet if you do get the takedown, and then shooting takedown attempts off the defense of your takedowns in working his way back up to the feet, and that's something you have to take into consideration. Yes, Durden can blanket him. Yes, he can take him down. Yes, he's going to be the better grappler. He's going to have better top position. I think it's going to be harder for Johnson 
to get up when he has a guy with the heavy top pressure of Durden. But if you're able to work your way back up to the feet at certain points, even though it was constantly getting takedowns for Muhammad Makayev, he was able to work his way back up in certain positions, and that's why Makayev was able to land so many takedowns. So he is a decent grappler. He's not a slouch when it comes to the ground, and he has a submission threat of his own. Um, I'm going to go with Charles Johnson here. I don't love the fight from a betting perspective because I think the hands low style, the constant stance changes, Durden might be able to land to the body and come over the top with the overhand right, which we have seen has been his most effective strike in his UFC career. And he has big power when he does land it and it's very fast and he uses the right hand to close the distance for the takedown attempts. But overall, I think Johnson's the better fighter. I think he's slicker on the feet. I think the stance changes are going to make the takedown attempts a little bit harder for Durden to time. I think Durden's going to get caught stepping in. But the thing with Johnson is he always makes the fights very close to the point where even if you think he wins, when it goes to decision, you're worried that maybe it could have gone the other way due to a lack of activity because he picks it up as the fight goes. But early on, he doesn't have a lot of output. He did against Jimmy Flick. Um, who's more of a grappler than a heavy um, wrestler. And I think that people are going to look at that flick fight and think that Charles Johnson is going to be able to outclass Cody Durden. Heavy grappling and wrestling games are di- or have heavy grappling and jujitsu game is different from a heavy wrestling game. If, if Cody Durden's able to constantly get takedowns, he will control Johnson. But I just don't really see that happening over the 15 minutes. I think he will get some takedowns. I think he will have some top control. But I do expect Charles Johnson to work his way back up to the feet and outstrike Cody Durden, who doesn't have the best striking defense, but he isn't a slouch on the feet. I do think this will be a very close fight. I do think it goes to the scorecards, but I am going to edge out the energy in getting a very close decision. So my pick is going to be Charles the Energy Johnson to defeat Cody Durden via a 29-28 split decision. I do think it goes to a split. I think it's a very close fight. Um, But I think Charles has more weapons. He's a lot more technical on the feet. He's going to be able to give Cody some problems with his awkward stance changes, his hip bumps, his angle shifts, his ability to change stances, the hands low style and the head movement. It's going to make it a little harder for Durden to shoot those takedowns and make it a little more telegraphed. So I think the bigger shots are going to come from Johnson, more activity, more weapons, and the ability to get out of those grappling positions with good counter wrestling and good counter takedown ability. So give me Charles, the energy Johnson to defeat Cody Durden by 28, 20 or 29, 28 split decision, but betting perspective, I don't really love it from any side. I think you stay away from this when it comes to the betting. All right, and the next fight up we're going to discuss is going to be moving to the main card, and it's going to be a battle in the UFC's featherweight division between a UFC veteran and Ultimate Fighter alumni in Julian Juicy J. Arosa taking on a former LFA featherweight champion making his UFC debut in a very, very touted prospect after I was able to do the tape study in Fernando Padilla. Padilla versus Arosa. This is going to be a firefight, man. Both these guys are going to come forward, get in each other's face, and look to blow it out on the feet. Like, they're going to go blow for blow. They're going to be throwing heavy strikes at each other. This is mainly going to be a striking matchup. There is a big difference, though. Julian Arosa has good submissions, and it mainly comes from the front headlock, like we talked about with Charles Johnson. He's very good at locking up Darces or Anacondas from the front headlock. And most of the time, it comes after he hurts you on the feet, and he's able to grab you in that front headlock and work a submission after he tires you out. I don't think the submission game is going to work for Julian Arosa against Fernando Padilla. Padilla is a monster on the ground. He has very solid submissions, um, amazing triangles. I saw that in the tape study and fight he had about six or seven years ago. 
even early in his career, he was able to lock up a triangle. He turns the corner, hooks underneath the leg, pulls down around the head. I mean, just picture perfect triangle chokes. Padilla's 14 and 4, Arosa's 28 and 10. So 18 fights compared to 38. There's a big experience advantage on the side of Arosa. But sometimes experience pays dividends in some fights. I don't think the experience is really going to play too much of a factor here against Padilla. Padilla, 14 wins. He's got 12 wins by way of finish, two by decision. Out of his four losses, he's never been finished. He's only lost via decision. So you have to take that into consideration as well. Julian Arosa is kill or be killed. He can win decisions as well, but a lot of the times he's looking for the finish. And he's going up against a guy in Padilla who's never been finished. Julian Arosa, on the other hand, I love Juicy J. I'm a big fan of Julian Arosa. I was a fan of him on The Ultimate Fighter. I'm a bigger fan of him since he came back to the UFC. He's got 23 wins by way of finish out of 28 wins. But out of his 10 losses, he's been knocked out six times, never been subbed, and lost four decisions. So going up against a guy who's never been finished, even though Julian has more experience, he's been finished, knocked out, I should say, six times in his career. Most recently got knocked out in his last fight in a fight that I thought he was going to run away with against Alex Bruce Leroy Caceres. Bruce Lee was a Leroy was able to switch up the timing and land a left cross into a delayed left head kick so he could draw out the slip and then get a Rosa to reset. And he got caught right on the chin and knocked out in three minutes and four seconds of the first round. Before that, he was on a huge win streak. He he was on a three-fight win streak with wins over Charles Air or Air Jordan via submission due to the Darce choke. He defeated Steven Peterson via split decision in a back-and-forth fight where both men just stood and slugged it out on the feet. And then he defeated Hakeem Dawadu in a fight where I thought Hakeem was going to be able to blitzkrieg Julian Arosa on the feet, outstrike him, and just be much more technical. Arosa dropped Hakeem. He was landing bigger shots. He was putting the pressure on. He was, he was causing a lot of issues for Hakeem with his awkward lateral in-and-out movement. And that's something you got to take into consideration. But the thing is, Arosa can be knocked out. When I look at Padilla, the one thing I notice is this guy likes to trade in the pocket. He's a very long, tall, and rangy fighter. But he's dangerous, man. He's dangerous on the ground. If you knock him down, he's dangerous off of his back. He's dangerous on the feet. And I would say his best weapons are weapons up the center channel. He loves to land uppercuts. He'll go uppercut, left hook, right hand. One, three, rear uppercut. One, two, three, right uppercut. Shoulder roll, uppercut. He loves uppercuts, and that's something that he's going to be looking to land against Arosa. And Arosa is usually better against fighters where he has a length and a reach advantage. When you look at Fernando Padilla, let me see if they have any of the stats on the UFC website. I do not believe that they do, um, but maybe they do. Let's see. So 6-1-4. Yeah, see, it's not even listed. Um, let me see if I could find it on here. Fernando Padilla. I have the weight. So he's 6 one to Julian Arosa, I believe, is six feet. Let me see. Okay, so they're both six one. And then let me see if I can pull up Fernando Padilla's stats or stats. Because the UFC website is very bad with newcomers and posting their stats on time. Let's see. Yeah, see, it's not even on the UFC stats. Um, is it on the ESPN website? No, it doesn't look like it because they're trash. Let's try Sure Dog. No, that's what we were on. Um, maybe this, maybe Tapology will have it. I think they usually do, right? Um, 
Yeah, okay. So he's 6'1 with a 76-inch reach on the side of Julian Arosa. 6'1 with a 74-and-a-half-inch reach. So 74-and-a-half inches to a 76-inch reach for Fernando Padilla. So 70. So he's going to have about a one-and-a-half-inch reach advantage over Julian Arosa. He's going to be tall. He's going to be long. I think he's going to have issues with Padilla, man. I really do. I didn't know anything about this guy before I broke into the tape study, but he's dangerous off of his back. He's dangerous with submissions. He's dangerous with his striking on the feet as well. He, his striking seems to have gotten better from fight to fight. Mixes up the striking with one, two, three, right low kick, jab, cross, uh, shift stances into southpaw in the straight left hand. One, two, changing stances as he walks forward with kind of gazelle-like punches. The kid can mix it up. The kid is dangerous. He loves the uppercuts. If he works the body of Arosa, expect for him to come up to the top, to the head like a Mike Tyson. Rip the body, come up the middle with the uppercuts. He's very dangerous. He's got awkward angles with his punches. He knows how to use his length and reach. He's got good jujitsu. Um, I think the experience advantage, obviously, in the UFC is going to go to Erosa. But like I said, I don't think experience in this type of fight is going to play too much of a factor. I think Fernando Padilla is a very dangerous matchup. I think both these guys are evenly matched, but I would give the technical side advantage actually to Fernando Padilla. I think that he has better technical striking. I think he has better jujitsu. I think that Julian Arosa loves to get in your face and get into a war, and he does better against guys who embrace in that war but don't have the best technical ability. I think Fernando Padilla likes to get into those wars, but he also has technical advantages over Arosa on the feet. He has better defense. He doesn't get hit as much, and I think he has better slip and rip ability, and I expect him to be in that war with Julian Arosa, but eventually just catch him with a big shot, be better defensively, get out of the way of the punches of Arosa, and come back with big counters and be able to take the shots of Arosa where Arosa can't take the shots of him. We've seen Arosa have durability issues on the feet. Like I said, 10 losses in his career, six come by way of knockout. Fernando Padilla might have lost four times, but he's never been finished. Now, stepping up to the UFC experience we already talked about, that does play a little bit of a factor. But like I said, in this matchup, I don't think it plays too much of a factor. Padilla's got jiu-jitsu. Padilla's got good work off of his back. He's got good low kicks, good ability to change stances and land awkward angle punches that can catch the hands low style of Julian Arosa. Padilla does fight with his hands down as well, but he will high guard. He will move his head a little bit better, and I think he's better defensively. When you have two guys who like to go to war, when you have two guys who can slug it out, but one guy has better defense and also has better grappling and jiu-jitsu to fall back on, I have to go with the more well-rounded fighter. And although Arosa has the experience advantage, I'm going to go with Fernando Padilla. I think he makes a statement and actually finishes Julian Arosa in his UFC debut. I'm not a guy who likes to pick against Julian Arosa. I'm a big fan of Arosa, and I always have been. You can go back and listen to a lot of the breakdowns I've done on the podcast. I think the only time I picked against Arosa was against Hakeem Dawadu. And that's actually the one time he was able to look probably the best he's ever looked in his entire career in the UFC. So I'm going to go with Fernando Padilla to catch Arosa on the chin, drop him and actually submit him. So I'm going to go with Fernando Padilla to defeat Julian Juicy J Arosa in his UFC debut, being better defensively, landing bigger counters and having the bigger power when they do slug it out on the feet. If he's better defensively and he has big power, he has the jiu-jitsu to fall back on and is the more well-rounded fighter, how can I go against the underdog? Even with the experience disadvantage against Arosa, I can't go against a champion from another organization. Even though Arosa was a champion in another organization as well, I think Padilla is going to catch him here. So I'm going to go with Fernando Padilla to defeat Julian Juicy J. Juicy J. 
Erosa in his UFC debut by getting a second round club and sub. He's going to drop him and then eventually lock him up in a submission and get the tap. So give me Fernando Padilla via... Actually, you know what? Nah. Erosa's never been submitted. He's tough. Give me a knockout. Give me a knockout. I know I just contradicted myself, but I'm going to go with Fernando Padilla to defeat Julian Erosa via second round knockout. He's going to catch him with one of those sneaky uppercuts, hurt him, jump on him, and get him out of there. So Fernando Padilla to defeat Julian Juicy J. Erosa in his UFC debut by second round knockout, improving to 15 and 4. All right, and up next, we'll move to the next fight on the main card in the UFC's middleweight division between outstanding Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu world champion, multiple-time Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu world champion, and Hadolfo, the black belt hunter, Vieira, going up against a, not a UFC newcomer, but a man who's really burst on the scene lately, aside from his last loss, in Cody Brundage. Brundage versus Hadolfo Vieira. This is a really interesting one. This is a fight where Brundage is a pretty hefty underdog. He's coming in at plus 200 to Adolfo Vieira being almost a two and a half to three to one favorite at minus 240, minus 250. It's probably going to be a little bit higher than that when we get closer to fight night. Adolfo Vieira is going to have the jiu-jitsu advantage over Cody Brundage, but I think Cody Brundage has the wrestling advantage. The only thing is sometimes he'll get into scrambles and, you know, give up positions where Adolfo Vieira can catch him, can attack his back and maybe catch him in a big submission, you know? Like, obviously, the higher submission upside is going to come from Vieira. The more ability to catch an opponent on the feet, I think, is going to come from Brundage. But the thing is, Adolfo Vieira's striking looked better in the fight against Chris Curtis. He lost the fight via decision, but he was able to slug it out on the feet. His jab looked very good. That's one thing I think Brundage is going to have to look out for is the jab of Vieira. Who has more power on the feet? Cody Brundage. Who has more knockout upside? Cody Brundage. Who has better wrestling? Cody Brundage, who has better jiu-jitsu, Adolfo Vieira. Vieira is going to have better jiu-jitsu. He's going to have the ability to look for submissions in positions where Cody Brundage is not going to be comfortable. And Brundage is a guy who likes to push forward. He likes to get in your face. He likes to land big punches. He likes to go for that wrestling grind. I don't think that that wrestling grind is something that Vieira is going to deal with very well. You know, I don't think Vieira is a guy, he doesn't like to get hit. You know, I think he's become more comfortable the longer his UFC career is gone. He's, his striking has become more technical. He's not the best striker, but he he looks like he's a little bit more comfortable on the feet now than he was earlier in his UFC career. But I do think Brundage is going to have the striking advantage. I do think Brundage has the ability to catch Vieira with a big shot if he doesn't time his shots well. He has decent stance-changing combinations, good switch stance straights, good one-twos, good uppercuts, good ability to land decent shots. Um, and he's going to be the better striker in terms of Brundage. Brundage is going to be the better striker on the feet than Vieira. He's going to be the better wrestler than Vieira. But like I said, Vieira is going to be better in the scrambles. He's going to be able to take advantage of small openings that Brundage may leave in overexposing himself due to his overaggressiveness at certain points. But I do not think this is a fight where Vieira should be lined as almost a three to one favorite. I think the wrestling can cause him to have success in defending the jiu-jitsu and submission attempts of Vieira. And I think that's something that Chris Curtis showcased in his fight. Chris Curtis is a better striker, more technical than Cody Brundage, but he was able to stop a lot of the takedowns. He was able to, you know, avoid all the takedowns of Adolfo Vieira, even though the takedowns were, you know, pretty close at certain points. But the thing with Cody Brundage is he does have a 68% takedown defense, so he's defending about 7 out of 10 takedowns. Um, I do think Vieira will be able to get him to the floor, but I also think that Brundage has decent scrambling ability. He was able to take the back of Mihal Olegsejcik, almost lock him up in multiple submissions, 
And, you know, he has grappling ability, but the wrestling upside is more on his side. But I think he's going to use the wrestling more against Vieira to use it as a defensive mechanism more than an offensive mechanism because he's going to want to keep it on the feet and try to land a big shot against Vieira and knock him out. But he does have good takedown defense in terms of a front choke or guillotine choke like he showcased in the fight against Dolce Lungiambola where he was getting bombed away on taking big power shots, looking like he was almost out of there on multiple occasions. But... At the same time, Dolce shot a bad takedown. Brundage jumped in on a guillotine and actually submitted him in the first round. And he was getting bombed away on. So he can come back from the brink of defeat and get a victory when it looks like he's going to be losing the fight. So he does have ability to come back. Um, I think he's going to have more power on the feet like we talked about. He's going to be the better striker. He's going to be able to mix it up better. You know, coming out of Factory X, it's going to be a lot of stance changes, a lot of false starts, a lot of in and out movement, light on the feet, left and right lateral movement, and trying to land punches from awkward angles that Vieira is not going to see coming. But he can't overcommit on his punches because he will give up his hips against Vieira, but he also has good wrestling to be able to defend the takedowns of a Vieira. Vieira is the much better jiu-jitsu artist. He's world-class when it comes to jiu-jitsu. But I think the takedown defense and the wrestling ability of Brundage is going to make it harder for Vieira to set up avenues to use his jiu-jitsu, to get to the back, to get those takedowns, to get inside and outside trips, to be able to get into a scramble where um, Brundage is going to give up his back. And he doesn't have the best cardio. His cardio looked better against Chris Curtis, but he does fade in the second and third. I think Brundage will fade as well, but in a style of fight that Vieira is going to give him, he's not going to be at too much danger when it comes to the striking on the feet. So I think his cardio is going to hold up a little bit better and he's going to be a better wrestler, even though Vieira is the better jujitsu artist. So I think his cardio will hold up as long as Vieira is not constantly shooting those takedowns over and over and over again, which I know we're going to see from him, but I think he's become more comfortable on the feet. So he might be willing to strike it out a little bit more than, or a little bit more with Brundage, which could be a big mistake on the case of the black belt hunter. I was a big fan of Vieira multiple time jujitsu world champion. Like we talked about world-class jujitsu, but he doesn't like to get hit. He doesn't like to be in there. You know, he's talked about that. He has anxiety. I think Brundage is going to bring that fight to Vieira and Vieira doesn't like having the fight brought to him. He likes to control the pace. He likes to control the range. He likes to control where the fights take place. He likes to get you on the floor, lock you up in a submission. I think Vieira is definitely live for a first round sub. I think Cody Brundage is technically live for a first round knockout. You know, I think this is a very close fight and a lot closer than the line's going to give you, even though I do expect Vieira to be the much better grappler. I expect Brundage to be the much better wrestler, which in turn is going to make it harder for Vieira to set up his jiu-jitsu and submission attempt avenues because of the takedown defense and the wrestling ability of Brundage. With the pressure, with the nose to the grindstone, embrace the grind style of Brundage, and his comfortability on the feet, like he knocked out Trayshawn Gore with that big right hand, or big right hook as he missed that low kick, jumped on him into the mountain, got the finish, came back against Lungi Ambola. I think that Cody Brundage is live here. And this might be the wrong pick, but I'm actually going to go with the underdog. I'm going to go with the almost three to one underdog in Cody Brundage, the plus 200, plus 220 underdog in Cody Brundage to defeat Hadolfo Vieira via a second round TKO. I think he's going to be able to combat the jujitsu with his wrestling. I think he's going to avoid the submission attempts of Hadolfo Vieira. I think he's going to be able to outstrike him on the feet, land a big shot, hurt Vieira and TKO him. We saw him get submitted against Anthony Fluffy Hernandez, and he was a huge underdog in that fight, was Hernandez. But Hernandez does have better jiu-jitsu ability than Brundage, but Brundage has, has much better wrestling. So I think the wrestling is really going to play into case play into this fight on the defensive side of Cody Brundage, and it's going to tire out the much more muscular guy in Adolfo Vieira. So give me Cody Brundage as the plus 200, 
plus 220 underdog to defeat Adolfo Vieira via a second round TKO. It might not be not be the smartest pick, but I see Brundage getting a finish here, man. I think this guy is always counted out. I counted him out against Treshawn Gore. I'm not going to do it in this fight. I counted him out against Oleg Zaychuk because he had that knockout power. He had that one-punch ability. Vieira doesn't have that, and that's why I'm going to go with Brundage in the overall scheme of how the fight's going to play out. So give me Brundage to use his takedown defense, use his wrestling offensively to tire out Vieira, be able to get out of the, the positions and not give up his back to Vieira, and then eventually be able to get him out of there in the second round after tiring him out and landing some big shots on the feet. So Cody Brundage to defeat Adolfo Vieira, the Black Belt Hunter, or the Black Belt Hunter Adolfo Vieira via a second round TKO. All right, and now we get to the co-main event of the evening in the UFC's middleweight division between a man who's undefeated in the UFC and who is a Damian Maya protege in Kayo Bohayo going up against Mihao Olegzaychuk. It's going to be striker versus grappler. And the knockout power of Mihao Olegzaychuk catching Kayo Bohayo and putting him to sleep or Kayo Bohayo's amazing jiu-jitsu and wrestling game paired with amazing submissions as well. That's going to put away Mihal Olegzaychuk. I'll say this right now: I don't expect this fight to think or to go the distance. I don't think this fight goes the distance either way. But I am going to give the obvious wrestling and jujitsu advantage to Kyle Bohayo, man. I mean, this kid is going to be looking to press forward on Mihal Olegzaychuk, get in on his hips, take him down, transition to the top position, work from the mount, land ground and pound. Have Mihao Olegzaychuk give up his back, look to set up a uh, rear naked choke, look to lock him in the body triangle and control like he did against Armin Petrosian. And he's he's pretty comfortable on the feet. You know, he does have decently deceptive high kicks. He likes to land high kicks from the lead and rear side, likes to land check hooks as the opponent steps into range. He's very good on the back foot, very good at using lateral movement to kind of skate around the octagon, land some decent shots, and then get the opponent to overcommit so he can shoot in on the hips, take them down, and work his superior grappling and jiu-jitsu game. Good from the top, decent ground and pound, good ability to get mount. I mean, against Mahmoud Muradov, or Mahmoud Muradov, he was able to get into the top position, get into the mount, you know, take the back of Muradov, look to set up submissions. The fight went to decision, you know, he wasn't able to get him out of there, but the only thing with Bohio is sometimes he gets over aggressive in terms of on the feet and in his wrestling and jujitsu approach. Like on the feet, sometimes he'll just rush in and he'll get caught with a big shot. He does not want to trade it out on the feet with Oleg Zaychuk, who has one hitter quitter ability. In Southpaw, he's going to be looking to land the jab, jab, overhand left, left hook, land the uppercuts as Bohio tries to shoot the takedowns. Bohio's going to have to disguise his level changes because if he just shoots naked, he's going to be looking at those uppercuts up the middle. He's going to be looking at potential knees. Oleg Zaychuk doesn't really use kicks. He likes, likes to move around a lot, move left and right, kind of use a lot of fakes and feints, get you to walk on to the rear side left hand, and then catch you with a big shot. Check right hook, overhand left. Jab, overhand left. Jab, straight left down the middle. Slip, come back with the straight left hand. Ohio's pretty technical on the feet too, even though he's known for his wrestling and jiu-jitsu game, known for his top control. He is good on the feet. Like, like I said, he has decently deceptive kicks, you know, from the lead and rear side. He likes to snap up those high kicks, likes to land big high kicks. He's trained with other guys that are very popular, including a middleweight who looks just like him kind of in uh, a younger version of Paulo the Eraser Costa. And I see a little bit of Costa in him. He just doesn't like to embrace the brawl too much, but he is pretty aggressive. So I guess you can make some comparisons there. Um, Bahio's going to have the much better jujitsu, but the thing is with his over-aggressiveness, if you look at the fight against Muradov, he would go on the back and get reversed. And, you know, Muradov had a lot of top control time 
against Bahio. And Muradov's not known as a grappler. He's known as a striker. He comes, he's the only MMA fighter to ever be backed by Floyd Mayweather and the money team in Muradov. And he had some grappling success. He had over two, three minutes of control time in the second and the third round. And I believe it was second and third. It might've been first and second, but he was controlling Bahio on the top. He was defending the submissions of Bahio on the bottom. I don't think that Mihal Oleksiejczyk has better submission defense than a Mahmoud Muradov. But the thing is, if you have Oleksiejczyk in your guard, he's going to land big ground and pound, and he's going to knock you out. If he lands big ground and pound in the guard against Bahio, he will put him away. Like, he has that ability to knock him out. Look what he did to Cody Brundage, who we just talked about. He was getting out grappled, gave his back up was able to defend, was able to get into the top position and land big ground and pound from inside the guard and put away Cody Brundage, knocking him out cold. He can do the same thing to Bahio. I think Bahio has better jujitsu than Brundage, but at the same time, I think he's liable to get knocked out. I mean, against Muradov, that's the one thing I got to look at. He gave up positions. Muradov was able to outscramble him in certain points. He was able to land big, heavy punches from the ground on Bahio in his guard. And that's something that Mihal Oleksiejczyk, that's not where you want to be. I, even though Bahio can probably sweep, he can look to half-guard sweep, he can look to full-guard sweep, scissor sweep, etc. Look to work his way to the top position. Look to, you know, elevate with the butterfly guard. He's very good with the butterfly sweeps as well and using that to work back into the top position if he is on his back. So look for him to implement butterfly sweeps from that butterfly guard against Oleksiejczyk. But it's very difficult on the feet for Oleg, for uh, Bohio. Even though I would say Bohio has more volume, he's better with the movement and it'll look prettier uh, to the judges. If he stands on the feet for too long against Oleg Zaychuk, Oleg Zaychuk will knock him out. He has the power to put him away and put him away early and hurt him very badly. But I do see also that Oleg Zaychuk got out-wrestled by Brundage, got controlled, gave up his back. If he gave his back up to Brundage, if Bohio gets your back, gets the body triangle, he'll more than likely be able to lock up a sub. If he gets him down early, if he gets into a scramble, gets a double leg, works to the back of Oleg Zaychuk, puts in the body triangle, he'll most likely be able to submit him. Or ground and pound him, transition to the mount. He's going to float on float like butter and, and float like water on top of Oleg Zaychuk, who doesn't have the best jujitsu, but he's pretty good defensively on the ground, though. I don't think he'll get put away early, but, you know, Bahio's going to have the much better wrestling, the much better grappling, the much better jujitsu. I mean, a, a Damian Maya protege, what else can you expect? But I do worry about the power of Oleg Zaychuk and catching Bahio on the chin and putting him out. He hasn't fought a guy that hits like Bahai or like Oleg Zaychuk. I know he fought Armin Petrosian, who was a world champion kickboxer, but he doesn't have the one-hitter power like Oleg Zaychuk. So you're going to have to worry about that. And seeing what happened against Muradov, where he was able to outscramble him, able to work to the top, where Muradov's not known as a grappler, he's known as a striker, more in terms of the boxing sense. Um, oh, I, I'm just, man, I'm worried about the power of Oleg Zaychuk. But the pick is going to be Kyle Bahayo to win via a second-round sub, but I'm not super confident in it. I'm really not, because I could see Oleg Zaychuk landing on the chin of Bahayo and hurting him bad, like like knocking him out cold. From the top, in terms of being in the closed guard, and on the feet. Like, Bahayo's not out of danger unless he can completely neutralize and control Oleg Sechik, which I do think he's capable of. But I'm going to go with Kyle Bahayo to win via a second-round submission due to a rear naked choke. But in terms of betting, I mean, he's like a 4-1 to one favorite. Even though I'm picking Bohio, I think the better bet is Mihal Oleksiejczyk because he has the ability to knock him out. Because we've seen him knock out a heavy wrestler and a heavy grappler in Brundage from the guard with big power. 
Um, he has one hitter quitter ability, and sometimes that's all you need. So I think the betting perspective, the better bet is Mihal Oleksiejczyk. And if I was going to bet on this fight, I would bet on him at a plus 295, plus 300 dog. But the pick is going to be Kyle Bahayo to work from work to the back, out grapple, out control, out position Oleksiejczyk on the ground, take his back, lock up the body triangle, and get a second round rear naked choke submission. So the pick is going to be Kyle Bahayo to defeat Mihal Oleksiejczyk via second round rear naked choke. But the betting side, I like Mihal Oleksiejczyk on the money line or Mihal Oleksiejczyk by knockout. I think there's a lot of value on Oleksiejczyk, but I'm going to pick the more well-rounded and seasoned grappler in Bohio. So Kyle Bohio to defeat Mihal Oleksiejczyk via second round rear naked choke. And now we are at the main event of the evening in a battle that was supposed to take place last weekend at UFC Vegas 71 in the co-main event in a three-rounder. Now it is a five-round main event in the UFC's 135-pound bantamweight division between the team alpha male striking standout, I guess you could say, in Song Yadong, going up against the number 10-ranked wrestling standout with decent boxing and power of his own on the feet in Ricky Simone. Simone versus Song Yadong is a fight that I'm actually very happy got moved to a five-round main event for this card. I'm not happy that it got taken off UFC Vegas 71 because I was looking forward to it on that card, and I actually had a bet in on Song Yadong, which maybe it's going to tell you who I'm picking in this fight, but we'll get through the stylistics before we get to the actual prediction. We'll look at the stats very quickly. 5'8 for Song Yadong, 5'6 for Ricky Simone. So a two-inch height advantage, but he's at a two-inch reach disadvantage, even with the height advantage on the side of Song Yadong. 67-inch reach to a 69-inch reach for Ricky Simone. So even though he's two inches shorter, he's got a two-inch longer reach advantage than Song Yadong. 38-inch leg reach for Yadong and 38-inch leg reach for Ricky Simone on the side of either fighter, so both equal in that regard. When you look at win percentages, you have a 42% win rate via knockout, 16% by submission, and 42% by decision for Song Yadong to 30% of the wins coming by way of knockout, 20% by submission, and 50% by decision for Ricky Simone. So 50-50 in terms of finishing to decision upside for the win rate or winning method, I guess you could say, for Ricky Simone, and then a... 58% finish rate for Song Yadong to a 42% submission rate. So the bigger finisher, or I'm sorry, 42% decision rate. The bigger finisher is going to be Song Yadong with the more knockout upside, the higher knockout ability. The better grappler, the better wrestler, the more heavy forward pressure fighter is going to be Ricky Simone. Simone's going to be looking to push forward. He's going to be looking to get in the face of Song Yadong, get him on the back foot, push him up against the cage, and work his wrestling and takedown ability. But Ricky Simone also has good striking. I mean, we've seen him knock out guys like Rafael Asuncao, one, two, left hook to the body, left hook back up top to a right hand. I believe it was a combination like that. Bop, 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 one, two, rip to the body, rip back up top to the head. He's got good striking. His striking has gotten better. In the Ray Borg fight, his striking looked very good in the Ray Borg fight. He looked better on the feet. He looked more comfortable on the feet than in previous fights. But the one fight that sticks out in my mind is the knockout loss to Uriah Faber who coincidentally is the head coach and teammate of Song Yadong out of Team Alpha Male. And he said in the lead-up to that fight that Song Yadong taught him that right hand that he used to knock out Ricky Simone. Now, that was years ago. That was in Uriah Faber's hometown. 
you know, take it with a grain of salt if you want. But with Song Yudong coming from the same camp, I think that that holds a little bit more weight than some people may originally believe. Song Yudong is going to have the more technical striking on the feet. He's much more technical. He's much more measured. He has better in and out and lateral movement. He has good ability to cut off, move off on angles, slip his head off the center line, come back with a 2-3, slip back, counter low kicks with a 2-3, counter low kicks with a 1-2, like he did against... Um, What's the fighter? He countered the low kick, landed the right hand, and knocked him out cold. I can't think of his name off the top of my head. Uh, I believe his last name was Flores, maybe, or Alejandro. Let's see. I'm going to look that up because I want to I wanna remember what that was. Let's see. It was against... Alejandro Perez. Okay, so yeah, he knocked out Alejandro Perez, countered the low kick with a beautiful one-two, a right hand right down the middle. I think it was just a, a cross, not a one-two. Caught him with the one, caught him with the cross and knocked him out cold. Um, in his recent fight, he went to a fifth round TKO doctor stoppage against Corey the Sandman Sandhagen. But going into that fifth round, that fight was very close and it was actually tied up at two rounds apiece. So whoever was going to win that fifth round was going to win the fight. Now, competition level is highly on the side of Song Yudong. He's fought guys like Marlon Moraes, Julio Arce, Corey Sandhagen, Casey Kenny, Marlon Chito Vera. And on the side of Ricky Simone, he's fought guys like Rob Font, Uriah Faber, Ray Borg. Um, more recently, he handed Jack Shore his first loss in professional mixed martial arts with that arm triangle submission. He's going to have the better grappling than Song Yudong. He's going to have the better wrestling. He's going to be able to take Song down. He's going to be able to work from the top position. He's going to be looking to push Song Yudong up against the cage, work the takedowns, work the top position, work ground and pound, and look to set up a submission if Yudong gets into a scramble where he can give up his back, if he shrimps his hips towards Simone and gets caught in an arm triangle like he was able to submit Jack Shore with. I mean, the obvious grappling upside is going to come from uh, Ricky Simone. The striking, however, I think that the striking game of Ricky Simone is decent. He has good one-twos, good combinations, um, good ability to work the body, come back up top to the head, mix it up between the head and the body with his boxing. The kicking game is pretty non-existent on the side of Ricky Simone, though. And I think Song Yudong's body kicks, low kicks, and high kicks are going to give Ricky Simone a lot of trouble. Even though he's going to have the reach advantage, he's going to be at a height disadvantage, which is going to make him closer to the knees and kicks of Song Yudong, which I think is something that people don't necessarily talk about. And I also think the striking of Song Yudong is a lot faster. He has way better fast twitch muscle fibers where he can get those shots out and bring them back a lot quicker than Ricky Simone. He's a lot more crisp. He's a lot more fleet footed. He has better footwork, good movement in and out, lateral movement, ability to counter off the back foot, ability to land crosses into same side punch combinations like he knocked out Julio Arce with, with that cross firing the right hand off the, the high kick, landed up top, brought it back kind of like a Superman punch with the retraction of the kick directing it into the impact of the same side punch. So Song Yudong is the much better fighter on the feet. I mean, being nicknamed the Kung Fu Kid, you're not going to really expect anything different. With Ricky Simone, he has decent boxing, decent power, good body shots, good hooks, good uppercuts, good one-twos. But I don't think he wants to get into a striking battle with Song Yudong because that is a battle he's not going to win. The, the key for Song Yudong, or I'm sorry, the key for Ricky Simone in this fight is to use his wrestling to pressure Song Yudong back, to get in his face, land big shots, get Yudong backing up, getting get him moving laterally, then cut him off, shoot ahead on the inside single, 
push him up against the cage in the body lock, work the trips, work for the double legs, get those takedowns. He's going to be the better grappler. He's going to be the better wrestler. He'll probably get Yudong down to the floor. However, even if Song Yudong gets taken down, he has good ability to work his way back up to the feet. Even if you take him down, he's going to shrimp his hips. He's going to look to use the underhook. He's going to look to use the overhook and whizzer and get back up to his feet and work back to the center of the cage. And his lateral movement, his in and out footwork, his angle steps, his ability to shift off on angles is going to make it harder for Ricky Simone to set up those takedowns and his counterability off the back foot. And although there's also the speed of his combinations are unbelievable. I mean, the cross high kick he landed, or I'm sorry, the high kick into the same side cross he landed on Julio Arce, the combination he landed on Marlon Moraes with an overhand right, a left hook and an uppercut right up the center. I believe it was a, an overhand right, a left hook, and then a rear uppercut. Or it was it a lead uppercut? Let me see. I want to watch that again. So I break it down the correct way. Let's see. Get the volume off on this. And then we'll be able to break that down a little bit better. Let's see. Stepping into range. Here it is. Let's see. So it was a... Let's see. He's walking forward. High guard. Jab. He goes jab. Pulls back. Jab overhand right. Lead uppercut and a rear uppercut. So it was actually a four-punch combo. A jab overhand right. A lead uppercut and a rear uppercut. Caught Marlon Marais and put him down. But earlier, he was able to step in and counter over the jab with the overhand right. He's going to be so much faster. He's so much more technical on the feet. Good ability to counter off the back foot. Good body kicks. I think he's going to attack the body, the inside and outside low kicks, heavily against Simone. He's got a vicious body kick. He's got good ability to land a body kick and then draw you in on the counter, kind of like a pulley effect. He'll land a big shot, draw you in overhand left or overhand right, left hook, switch stance, straight left, right hook. His, his counter ability, his striking going forward and his striking going backward off the back foot counter is elite. His footwork, his movement, his lateral movement is great. The only time we've seen him have trouble was against guys who could match his stance changes, his angle shifts, his footwork, his touch, 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 rip, 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 like a Corey Sandhagen. But there's nobody in that division aside from Dominic Cruz that can use the footwork, the lateral movement, the in and out, the stance changes, the stance changing combinations aside from TJ Dillashaw, which coincidentally he retired in his mixed martial arts career and won't be competing in the UFC, which is kind of sad, but it is what it is. Maybe we'll see Dillashaw come back at a certain point, but he's not going to have to worry about those stance change combinations, the angle changes, the stance changes, the touch, 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 rip. Ricky Simone doesn't really touch, touch, and rip. He might touch one, but he's going to land big shots. One, one, boom, boom, boom. He's landing big shots. Song Yadong is explosive. Everything he throws is quick, technical, fast, powerful, but I feel like he's more adept to landing some touching shots to land the big shots on the counter. And I think Ricky Simone is in for a big night of trouble, a pretty terrible night if he stays on the feet and strikes with Song Yudong. Yudong is better. He's got better kicking ability. He's so much faster with his striking on the feet, so much more technical, and so much more powerful than Simone. Simone's the better wrestler. Simone's going to have the better ability to get the fight to the floor, look to land the takedowns, push Song Yudong up against the cage, and really just tire him out. I think that three-round format actually was more in the favor of Ricky Simone than Song Yudong because I think if he's able to take down Song, 
and controlling from the top position for a round or two, he was easily going to win that three-round fight. And I was still going to pick Song Yidong in that one. Now that it's a five-rounder and we've seen Song Yidong fight in a five-round fight, even though he got finished due to a cut, he was 2-2 two and two going into the fifth round against a former title contender and a future title contender with a win over Marlon Vera. Song Yidong has a win over Marlon Chito Vera by decision as well. He went 2-2 two and two with Corey Sandhagen, a guy who went back and forth with Piotr Jan, a guy who defeated Marlon Chito Vera, a guy who knocked out Frankie Edgar, one of the best bantamweights in the world in a very competitive striking matchup, got some takedowns of his own on Corey Sandhagen, showing that his wrestling has improved. I think his wrestling, his takedown defense, his counter-wrestling ability is very improved at this point in his career, and I think he is the better fighter than Ricky Simone. Now, I know the better fighter doesn't always win, but I expect him to be able to outstrike Ricky Simone on the feet. I expect him to be able to defend most of the takedowns. Even if he does get taken down, he'll work his way back up to the feet, and his striking is just going to be too crisp, too clean, and too fast. For Simone, whether it's on the front foot in an offensive manner or on the back foot in an offensive counter position, countering the big, powerful punches of Ricky Simone and countering the takedown attempts with knees, high kicks, uppercuts, and stuff like that to catch him on the level change. I'm going to go with Song Yudong to get the win, and I'm going to go with Song Yudong to get the win by a finish. I'm actually pretty confident in the Kung Fu Kid's ability to defeat Ricky Simone here. I know a lot of people are on the side of Ricky Simone because of his wrestling, because of his pace, because of his improved boxing ability, because of his footwork. I think it's just too much too soon for Ricky Simone against Song Yudong. Not so much too much too soon, but I think Song Yudong is just a more complete fighter than Simone, and the more complete fighter is going to win this fight. So I'm going to go with Song Yudong, the number 8-ranked bantamweight, to defeat the number 10-ranked Ricky Simone via a third-round TKO. I think he's going to catch Ricky Simone with a big shot that Simone's not going to see coming, potentially the overhand like Uriah Faber caught him with, who coincidentally is a coach and training partner of Song Yidong, or was at that point at Team Alpha Male, I think they're going to have a, a pretty good game plan. I think a lot of uppercuts. Um, I think a lot of kicks to the body and low kicks, not so much high kicks, because he's not going to want to get any of his kicks caught or pressured to get taken down and have Simone be able to use his wrestling. So I'm going to go with the third-round knockout for Song Yidong to, or against the number 10-ranked Ricky Simone in the UFC Vegas 72 main event. When it comes to a betting perspective, um, Song Yidong is now a favorite at like minus 105. I got on him in the last fight in the three rounder at like plus 120, plus 115. I'm still probably going to put a bet on Song Yidong in this fight in a five rounder. I like his chances more over five rounds than I do over three rounds because I don't necessarily think Simone can keep up that wrestling for 25 minutes. And I think Song can do more damage over the 25 minute bout, even though I don't think he's going to need 25 minutes. So give me the number eight ranked Song Yidong to defeat that number 10 ranked Ricky Simone via a third round knockout victory. He's going to catch him with an uppercut, catch him with a big flurry, or potentially catch him with a high kick into the same side cross, hurt him, and put him away. That's going to be it for my UFC Vegas 72 predictions. The UFC Vegas 72 card obviously takes place this upcoming Saturday, April 29th from the UFC Apex in Las Vegas, Nevada. You can get this podcast anywhere you get your audio podcast. That includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, Breaker, Stitcher, and many, many more. This podcast will be broken down into individual fight segments and uploaded to my YouTube channel, which coincidentally is the same name as the podcast, at the Touch'em Up Podcast, and most likely will be uploaded in a full card video, which I think some people might enjoy more, even though the views for me... The views for me, I'm sorry, are better on breaking up the card into individual segments for videos. But that's it for my UFC Vegas 72 Yadong versus Simone preview predictions and breakdown. I'm your host, Double M, and I'm out. Enjoy the fights this weekend.